Good morning. Welcome to North Point. I am so glad that you've tuned in. It's a, a really a pretty unusual thing to be here in the auditorium with no one around. Uh, but we want to we wanted to take the opportunity this morning to be able to communicate God's word and and to communicate with you just directly. We're living in crazy times. There's uh, you know so much has changed in the last few days, and um, and I thank you for for downloading the message, for tuning in, and for us having a chance to to um, to study God's word together, and to encourage and challenge each other as well. Uh, I think the the uh, the biggest question that's there right now is how long are things going to be this way? And we don't know yet. Um, for right now, our service today, is, uh, we're doing this way. We'll take a look later in the week to see where we are for the next few Sundays. We'll let you know about that. And uh, if this is if this is what we have, we'll do that and trust that God will use it to help us stay connected. Our staff is having con- uh, conversations consistently to say not just how can we manage everything, but how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus at this point in time with the with the COVID uh, virus. And uh, so there's some great opportunities for that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Be praying about how God can use you to minister to people, not just to respond to, to all the closures and everything that, that is going on as well. Uh, a great, a big question that a lot of people have asked is, okay, why do we cancel? We're followers of Jesus. That's the most important thing in our life. Why do we do that? And let me just communicate for um, for myself as we made that decision. There was a lot of tension in that uh, decision for whether to cancel or not. Uh, on the one hand, the governor asked, recommend, recommended that, that groups not gather over 100. And we wanted to honor our government officials. That's what we do. Um, on the other side of things, there was the, the the desire that we have to worship together and to encourage each other. Ultimately, um, when the schools closed, when uh, there was a sense that we could be a great part of the community and that we could help potentially slow down the growth of the virus and um, and that that would have an impact on our community, it, w- it then became a pretty easy decision for us. Because in the New Testament... There weren't large group gatherings typically. Most of the time, the the followers of Jesus met in people's homes. That's what they did. And so that's what you're doing today. We're following the New Testament pattern and and think that's great. Uh, If we continue to do this in the future, I would just encourage you to to watch together with your family. If you're comfortable getting together as a life group uh, to experience uh, worship on Sunday mornings, that would be great. Maybe you want to invite a neighbor and say, hey, we can't go to church, but you want to come to our house and, um, and, and use the video to be able to help facilitate that. That would be great. Um, our decision is really based not on what's best for us, but what's best for the community. We have the ability to be selfless and, and to really think of others, and that's the decision that we've made in not having our services today. And so uh, we trust that, that this will be an encouragement to you. I think another question that's on everybody's minds is how do we respond to the, to the COVID-19 virus? What do we do as a result of that? Uh, scripture's plain that we don't need to live in fear or panic. Um, staying away, avoiding the, the COVID-19 virus is not the end goal of our lives. Um, God is sovereign. He's in charge. We can trust him. 
And no matter what happens, the biggest question, the most important thing, is not whether COVID-19 gets us or whether a car accident gets us or whatever. It's whether or not we know Jesus. And, uh, and that's the center of life for us. So I would, I would just encourage you, don't let panic reign. Don't, um, don't be fearful. Uh, trust that God is leading you through the process. And if you would, please leave some toilet paper on the shelves for my family to go by when we need it. Uh, that would be a great thing. Uh, take the recommendations that, that everyone is telling you right now. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Get good sleep. Take your vitamins. Eat balanced diet. Get some exercise. All those things. And trust that God is walking with you each step of the way. Limit your exposure, uh, you know, uh, and limit the, the number of people that you might expose as well. There are some great opportunities for us right now with, with the virus, with what's going on. We're, we really are making history right now. And so there's some huge opportunities for us. I would encourage you to just in your neighborhood, in your web of relationships, figure out what that is what those opportunities are and how you can do that. Uh, one, one of our people just had a great post this week on Facebook that said, we're willing to watch kids. Um, if, if your kids in not being able to go to school don't have a place to go, bring them to our house. That's, that's so incredible. Opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. If you have an idea or if you have a need that's, that has risen because of, uh, of what we're experiencing right now, I want to encourage you to use this email, and it will come to the staff, and we'll try and coordinate some things, coordinate needs, coordinate uh, the ways that people can help. Here's the, here's the email address to use. Respond to COVID-19 at northpointcc.org. Again, that's respond to the number two, COVID-19, at northpointcc.org. That would be great, and that will give us as a staff a chance to just kind of sort through how can we best uh, do what God has called us to do at this time, in this place, in history. Uh, I I want for us to just take a a moment and to pray together, if we could, for, uh, for what's going on. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, that you walk with us when things are calm and that you walk with us when things are crazy. Um, God, we together collectively as a body in lots of different places connected electronically right now, we pray and ask that you would, uh, that you would do your work through us, that you would come alongside us, that we would sense your presence. God, we especially ask that you would be with the, the uh, medical medical providers, with the the people who are working in hospitals uh, around the country, around the world, and that you would give them strength and that you would protect them. Uh, God, we ask that you would be with our leaders, that the solutions and the guidelines that they give would help slow the growth of the virus and that would allow us uh, to live in a way that that, uh, we can not just survive this, but that there can be some really great things that happen. Uh, God, be with us. Help us to be light in dark places. Help us to be hope um, when people are discouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you, and now as we kind of move into the service, to take a moment, and um, because we're not together, I, I, I just want to encourage you to take out the North Point app and go on the app to the section that says the worship songs. You can go there, and if you've got Spotify, you if you don't have Spotify, you can still connect with it, but you can take the worship set that we were going to do today 
and, um, and play those songs. Sing along with it. If you're at home or if you're in a car, sing out loud. Uh, no kidding. Sing out loud and let that be a part of your worship today. If you're at Tim Hortons or if you're at Big B's, probably best to use your earbuds and not sing out loud, but you can still worship through that process. I, I, don't, um, don't misunderstand me on this. I I'm, I'm really am being serious. I hope that you'll pause the video right now that, that you'll just hit pause and that you'll go to that spot on the app and that you'll start to, to sing, that you'll let the music minister to you in a way that the spoken word can't. And I think that that's something that we'll miss for as long as we're not together. And, um, and I want to encourage you to do that. I want to take an opportunity as well to just encourage you, again, we're not together for corporate worship, but there's still some things that you can do. And so I want to encourage you to go ahead and take some time to make your giving really an act of worship. Most of the time when we're here in the auditorium and the buckets go by, it just kind of goes by fast and we, and we put some money in. We don't necessarily spend a lot of time talking about it or thinking about it or praying about it. And I want to encourage you right now, again, if you would, to just reflect on how God has blessed you, on how he's taken care of you. And I want to encourage you to, to go ahead and give electronically. If you've never done that before, all you need to do is, is send a message that's NCC Give and text that to 77977. NCC Give to 77977. And that'll, that'll work you right through the process. If you don't text, you can do that through the website as well. Um, but I want to encourage you to not just do that routinely, to not just give a gift financially that will allow us to continue to minister in this area and around the world, but I want to, I want to encourage you to just pause for a minute and say, God, you have blessed me so much, and I want to give back, and I, w- I want you to use that in a way that it can impact people far from here as well as close to here. Thanks in advance for giving that gift. That's, that's great. Uh, go ahead now and open the North Point app if you don't have it open or transfer over to the message section, the message notes. Uh, open up your Bible, if you have one, to the book of Ephesians. And we start a new series today called Powered. It's, uh, it all comes from the book of Ephesians. We're going to spend the next six, eight, ten weeks working through that book. And so today is kind of the background and just kind of setting the stage for the entire series. The book of Ephesians... uh, is called that because it was written to a church that existed in the city of Ephesus in the first century. We've got a map to just kind of show you where Ephesus is. It's in western Turkey, and it was a really important city in the first century. It was a port city there on on the western edge of Turkey, and it allowed access for the residents of that city to go into Asia Minor, to go into Europe, to go into Africa, to go all kinds of places. So, so it was a powerful place. Um, when you read historically about the things that happened in Ephesus, there were some amazing things. There was a huge temple uh, to the goddess Diana, to Artemis, and, um, and that was a core part of the city. It was a very eclectic city. It had all kinds of things going on. In Scripture, we first read about Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 when Paul goes on his missionary journey with Silas to Ephesus Paul was one of the first preachers that God had really called uh, to plant churches. And he's on this missionary journey, and he goes to Ephesus. He spends some time there in the synagogue, and he launches into conversations that, that, um, that, 
just create all kinds of interest and, and uh, discussion, but he doesn't stay very long. And he says, you know what, if God allows me, I'm going to come back and I'm going to have an opportunity to teach you more. We'll see what, what happens with that. That first contact of the gospel in the, in the uh, city of Ephesus was about 52 AD. And uh, some months later, Paul comes, comes back. At the beginning of Acts chapter 19, you can read about what happens when Paul goes back into the city. He finds this small group of believers that had, that had arisen from his original uh, stop there. But they don't really grasp the full story of the gospel. They, they, have, um, they have some misconceptions. And Paul ultimately stays probably somewhere between two and three years in the city of Ephesus to teach and to preach in the church and to help them uh, understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to, to be changed by Jesus, to pursue the mission of Jesus. Uh, Paul is there investing in those leaders. He's there um, doing everything that he can to communicate the truth of the gospel in a way that their lives would be changed. His teaching is so powerful that what ends up happening is that magicians and, and people who, uh, who were... Um, who are doing, involved in all kinds of supernatural things. They bring their books. They bring their idols. They're, they're the leaders of all the cults in the city. They bring them all together and in a giant bonfire. They burn them all up because they've chosen to follow Jesus. When that happens, the, the people who made the idols in the city, they got all bent out of shape. They went crazy and said, you can't do this, and, and it caused a riot. Paul ultimately ended up having to leave the city, but he left the church there in, in great shape, and, um, and the church continued to grow. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is left from Macedonia, and in Macedonia, the, the elders, the leaders from, from the church in Philippi come to meet him, and there's this beautiful scene that happens in Acts chapter 20, where the elders and Paul are, are together and they're weeping because they realize that they're not going to see Paul again. He's going he's gonna to sail away. He's not going to be able to come back to Ephesus. And, um, and, and they're, they're just grieving in their spirit because he's become a good friend, a mentor, um, a teacher for them. Uh, that's what we know about Ephesus. Uh, so th- that happens uh, about five years later, roughly in 62 A.D., uh, Paul is writing probably from Rome, and he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, this book of Ephesians, knowing that that letter is going to be distributed uh, um, after the church in Ephesus reads it throughout the churches in Asia Minor. And so uh, one of the cool things about this this particular book is it's not written to combat any kind of heresy, and there's not like false teaching that's going on. Paul's just trying to encourage them and say, okay, this is what it looks like to know and love and follow Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 14 verses together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will 
to the praise of his glorious grace, who he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There are so many things in those 14 verses to teach about and to kind of digest and work through that we could probably spend several weeks just in that passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, in the, uh, in the original language, in the Greek, from verse 3 to verse 14 is all one sentence. It runs nonstop. Have you ever been in a situation where you saw someone and you got started talking to them and you just kept going, 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 and you, and you almost couldn't come up for breath? That's the situation when Paul starts this letter to his good friends, to his brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus. The the ideas just flow and flow and flow. And and Paul goes nonstop uh, through those first 14 verses. Uh, I think in the depth of the content that's here, I want us to look at one theme today that really sets the foundation for this series. Uh, It's this. There's power in being chosen. There's power in being chosen. All of us know what it's like to be left out. Maybe as a kid, you were the last person chosen to be on an athletic team. Uh, Maybe you've tried and tried for that position at work and, and you've just not been selected. Maybe you've worked and worked to try and get even an interview with a company and it seems like all you get is rejections. Maybe you feel like you're too young or too old, you're too tall or too short, um, that you're too well-educated or not well-educated enough, that you're too much of an introvert or too much of an extrovert, and, and all you face is rejection. You're, you're left out because of being too whatever. Paul says, hear this, Paul says, you have been chosen by God. You've been chosen by God. Think about that. The God of the universe, the one who created the solar system, who created the expanding group of planets, the one who created mankind, who built the earth, created the mountains, the one who designed every every aspect of your DNA, every gene in your body, he chose you. God has chosen us to be followers of Jesus. He's chosen us to be in relationship with him. That's just such an incredible truth that I want you to just wrap your brain around. 
You've been chosen by God. Listen to this. In verse 4, Paul says, For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us before the world was ever made. How could he do that? God's not bound by time or space. So he knew when we were going to be born. He knows when um, ultimately when we'll die. He knows everything about us. And God chose us before the world was created that we might be holy and blameless, that we might be in relationship with him, that we might be perfect in his eyes. In verse 5, Paul says, In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. God chose us to be part of his family. That's that whole adoption picture. God the Father said, I want to have children, and I want you to be my son, my daughter. He adopted us into his family. That's a choice that he made to bring us in, in spite of where we came from, in spite of the problems that we have, in spite of the ways that we've ruined our life. God chose us. In verse 11, he says, in, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. God chose us to be his favorite, to be the praise of his glory is what it says at the end of verse 12. Think about that for a second. That God chose you, he chose me, to be his favorite child of all of creation. Uh, As a teacher, as a parent, uh, you know you're not supposed to have favorites, right? If you've got multiple kids, you're not supposed to have a favorite kid. If you're a teacher, you're not supposed to have a favorite student. But you know when you are that favorite, right? You know when you're the favorite kid in a family. You know when you're the teacher's pet. Uh, um, when I think back to high school, I, I did a lot musically. I was uh, in choir in, in, a, in a group that traveled, and um, Mr. Shand was my choir director. He's still alive. He's 90 years old. We still talk on the phone occasionally, and, um, and he even now will tell me stories about talking to people at the assisted living uh, facility where he lives, and he'll talk about his favorite student, and he's talking about me. When I was in high school, I hated it when my, when, when my friends said, oh, you're the teacher's pet, you're the teacher's pet. I, I hated it when they said that. But I loved being the teacher's pet. I, I loved Mr. Shan's investment in me. I loved that he cared about what was going on in my life. You know, I, I wasn't the most skilled musician that he ever taught. There, there are classmates that I know that I've had, other students of his, that have traveled traveled professionally as musicians that have that um, have have become music teachers have had a huge impact in the music world but he would still say I'm his favorite there's something really special about that don't miss this God has chosen us to be the apple of his eye he has chosen us to be his favorite each of us individually when God thinks of you, there's a twinkle in his eye, this, this love that wells up inside him because he chose you. Verse 13 says, 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God chose us. He chose us before time. He chose us because of his great love for us. He chose us and he chose to leave us with an engagement ring. The word that's there in verse 13 that says that you are marked with a seal. The, uh, some some uh, versions say you are marked with a deposit. It's like a down payment on a house. The, the picture that's actually there in the Greek is that of an engagement ring. That it is this symbol that says you're committed. We're committed to each other. I go, uh, the thought of my fiance goes with me no matter where I walk, no matter where I go, no matter who I encounter. And there's the picture. God says, I have chosen you. And to help you understand that I've chosen you, I have given you an engagement ring. I've given you a deposit. I put a deposit down in you. And it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. When we choose to follow Jesus, when we give our lives to him, when we're baptized and and declare, I choose Jesus no matter what, God's spirit comes and lives in us. God chose to leave in us his presence. And that's what allows us to live life without fear. It allows us to live life with boldness. It allows us to live life thinking of others in incredible ways. Uh, It's God's spirit doing his work in us. Um, in, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to following Jesus, there is incredible news for you. God has chosen you to be a part of his family. I, I want to just pause because I, I, I want to spend just a little bit of time in this scripture because this is a pretty famous section of scripture and it's a pretty troubling uh, set of scripture uh, for, for many people who follow Jesus. This particular passage, verse, verses 3 through 14, um, are, are, were fundamental, foundational to John Calvin and, and the formation of his theology. Calvin's, uh, Calvinism has impacted uh, Christianity in a significant way for the last four or 500 years. And, and it's all about this aspect of predestination, of God knowing ahead of time what choices that would make. God predestined us to be adopted as as his children. Um, Calvin's theology is is probably known uh, more commonly in our current culture as Reformed theology. And and there are a lot of different pieces to it, but one of those pieces is uh, is this sense that God knows the decisions that we'll make and predetermines those decisions before, before we ever make them. And it raises all kinds of questions. Oh, do we have a choice or not have a choice? Um, this, this particular set of scripture points in that direction, but there's other scripture that, that is incredibly troubling for Calvin. John, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That seems to paint a picture of, wait a second, did God choose everyone? Um, in, in 1 Peter, we studied uh, just, uh, just a few months ago Scripture that says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
that emphasis on the free will of man and, and man's ability to respond to the death of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, is oftentimes known as Armenianism. Armenianism. That's a hard word to say. It, it kind of st- stands in contrast to Calvinism or to Reformed theology. Um, for people who, who are more Armenian, uh, man, the first chapter of Ephesians is troublesome because it paints this picture of God determining ahead of time. But for people who are Reformed, there are other scriptures that are equally troubling. I say all that to just say this. At North Point, we have people on both ends of the spectrum, people who are very Reformed in their theology and people who are very Armenian in their theology. And that's okay. We say that's not one of our big rocks. That's, that's not one of the core ingredients to what it means to follow Jesus. But I would encourage you to study this, to, to dive into this scripture, and to, um, and to begin to, to try and digest how this makes sense in light of all of scripture. Here's what I know. Jesus died for each of us, and we have the ability to respond to him. Somehow God... God knows, he knew before we were born how we'd choose, how we'd respond. He didn't force us. He gives us that ability to make that choice. And, um, and, and, and that's a part of the process of him choosing us as his children. In the church here at North Point, when new events are happening or new groups start, when people create uh, new areas of ministry, most of the time there's a desire that happens for people. People will come to me and say, hey, could you announce this on Sunday morning? Because if the, if the, pastor, if the pastor announces this, people are, people are going to respond like crazy. They're just going to come out of the woodwork because we make this announcement on Sunday morning. Um, here's what I found over lots of years of ministry. That seldom works. It, it does oftentimes create a little bit of response that comes from that. Um, but it doesn't really make a huge difference in, in, um, in people being able to, to join in and be a part of that. Um, what works instead is what we call at North Point shoulder tapping. So, so we encourage people who are working in all kinds of ministries to tap people on the shoulder and say, hey, would you join me in this? Um, Chris has talked about him before, but Theo Randall is great at this. He sees people and he thinks, oh, man, they would be great to be a part of the usher team. They, they could add so much. And, and he just taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, would you think about being one of our ushers? You know, when Hope Sharp sees, uh, sees uh, adults who care desperately for children and want them to know and love Jesus, she taps them on the shoulder and asks them out for a cup of coffee so that she could challenge them to think about what it might look like to serve in children's ministry. Shoulder, shoulder tapping, it works um, Four initials describe what happens when you tap somebody on the shoulder. It starts a conversation that, is, that uses four initials, I, C, N, U. Because the person who's recruiting says, in you, the ability for God to use you. I see that God could use you. I see in you something that God is just waiting to do in a great way. Um, as a, as a shoulder gets tapped, someone says, I see in you someone that God could use as a youth coach or a greeter or a leader in Celebrate Recovery or whatever area of ministry. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, many are called, 
but few are chosen. That's in Matthew 22. God is saying to you today that he has offered Jesus as a sacrifice for all mankind. But he's saying, I see in you someone who could be my son, my daughter, who could make a difference in the kingdom in a powerful way. He's saying, uh, he's saying, I died, Jesus died, called, but few are chosen. Jesus proved his love for us, and we need to respond. How, how does being chosen affect you as a person? I think it builds your confidence. It uh, creates purpose to your action. It gives you security. It gives you initiative. Initiative. It gives you the ability to care for others who have been chosen. It also produces in us a sense of humility that's, that's um, a big deal. How, how does being chosen by God affect you today in light of what's going on with COVID-19? Um, I think it's to recognize that God has chosen you at this point in time to be his hands and feet, to impact the community with the grace of Jesus. He's given you an engagement ring, the Holy Spirit, by which to be fueled to do that ministry in this time and place. You don't have to fear. Take initiative to come alongside others who, who are fearful, who are cantankerous, who are frustrated, and you can bring hope and joy and peace from God. You can be focused on them. You can know that God has chosen you to do what needs to be done. You can pray with them. You can pray for them. You can write notes of encouragement. You can send Snapchats. You can send Marco Polos. You can reach out through Facebook or Skype or email. You can figure out how to help that one guy from work, that gal who lives around the corner that's being hit so hard by the closures right now. Just one last thought as, as, as we conclude. Um, if there's power in being chosen, there's even more power in the chooser. If there's power in being chosen by God, that's, in, that's incredible. Look at, uh, at the world around us. But there's even more power in God being the one who chooses us. The God of the universe doesn't need anything. Over and over again, we have shaken our fist in the face of, of God. We have chosen to pursue our own interests. We've ignored him, and yet he still loves us. He still chooses to pursue us. That's so hard for me to grasp. Um, like, like you, Deb and I know a number of people who have adopted children, who have demonstrated that same sense of power by, by reaching out and, and taking a child into their family and adopting them, integrating them into their family in a powerful way. One, one couple that we know in particular adopted a little girl from, from Eastern Asia. Um, the girl was in an orphanage. She was not given much care at all, given very little attention, very little physical contact. Um, she had an extremely strong will, though. And, uh, and, and she was everyone's favorite who worked in the orphanage. She, they said that she could light up the room with her smile, with her laughter. Their, our friend's first visit with this child was kind of awkward, awkward because of the language barrier that was there, because of the lack of clarity that they had about some of the physical limitations, cognitive limitations that she might have. Um, but our friends chose to per, pursue this little girl and to adopt her. The financial cost that they incurred 
was incredible. They had to make two trips to Eastern Asia. They had to stay at one point in time for almost a month, I believe, in order to, to uh, do the legal proceedings that were necessary to adopt her. Um, the hardship for that adoption was, was equally difficult for them. They had to stay with a family in a small, tiny apartment, again, in Eastern Asia. That um, they, There was language barrier. They couldn't communicate at all. They were staying in, in cramped spaces that were not up to American standards. It was very difficult for them. And there was the uncertainty about whether or not they would even be approved for the adoption. What the workers of the orphanage didn't tell the couple was that this particular little girl had learned that her smile and her laughter was a way to gain attention and to gain interaction with the staff. And when that didn't work, she flipped and used her temper and her anger to get their attention. When the adoption was finally completed, the little girl screamed the entire flight from Asia back to the United States. Hours and hours of this little girl screaming on the plane. She was a mess. When they brought her home, uh, she didn't know what to do. Uh, she was in a completely different place, couldn't communicate. Didn't she, she was distraught. And every night as she went to bed, she'd scream for hours on end. She's still a work in progress five years later. You know what? That's our story. That's your story. That's my story. God has chosen to adopt us into his family, and we're a mess. Sometimes we push God away. Sometimes we fight kicking and screaming. Sometimes we cuddle up to God and try and get him to do what we want. But more times than not, we just push him away because we don't feel worthy. We, we don't know what to do. And yet God chooses to lavish his grace on us as his sons and daughters. Verse 5 says, In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Let that sit inside you this morning. God has lavished his grace on you, his love for you, his choosing of you to be his son or his daughter is an expression of love that can redeem any, anything from your past. I want to invite you this morning to just maybe say for the first time, maybe to say again, God, thank you for choosing to adopt me. Thank you for choosing to love me. Thank you for choosing to, to make me a part of your family. Maybe you've never taken that step before. I want to encourage you at home, at Tim Hortons, at Bigby's, wherever you are, to ask him, to tell him that you accept that role. There's a song that we occasionally still sing at North Point. The lyrics say, all the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely, all the thieves will come confess and know that you are holy. All the hearts who are content, 
all who feel unworthy, all who hurt with nothing left will know that you are holy. And all will sing out, hallelujah. All we will cry out, hallelujah. Shout it. Go on and scream it from the mountains. Go on and tell it to the masses that he is God. He has chosen you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a love that we can't comprehend. We thank you for the power that you demonstrate in choosing us in our mess and the power that you show in remaking us into your image. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross, for his victory over death, and the hope that he gives us in these times today. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.